Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs is taking a little bit longer than I expected when I started the book. I expected to kind of get through one chapter a week, and then there's so much. As I've dug into this book, there's so much here. To cover one chapter a week would be to miss most of what's in this book. We've been, some of these chapters, three, four messages in each chapter. There's so much in Proverbs, and it all points to Christ. I love the book of Proverbs. By the time we finish Proverbs, we'll be at just about a year, I think, in that book on Sunday nights. So at the pace we're going right now. Proverbs chapter 8, and tonight we're going to take verses 10 through 21. Proverbs 8, 10 through 21. The Bible says, Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. And the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me, kings reign and princes decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me. And those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me. Yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold. Yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. In our last message, we heard from God's wisdom as he makes himself known, right? It was the cry of wisdom. The word of God has gone out to the nations. It's gone out. It cries out through the law. It cried out through the tabernacle, the temple, through Jesus himself, through the word of God today, through preachers of the gospel today. Remember, in chapter 8 here, wisdom is personified as Christ. Christ is the personification of the wisdom of God. So when we said, when we said last time, it's been a couple of weeks now, three weeks ago, that wisdom cries out. Christ has cried out. Christ has made his voice known, has made his voice heard. And so today we're looking at the value of wisdom, that is the value of Christ. How do you put a price on that? The value of God's wisdom. As someone who went to Christian school all my life and grew up in church, I can tell you there's value to hearing the wisdom of God. There's value to hearing the word of God and learning from it. Don't despise what seems sometimes like the littleness of your message. You ever feel that way? You're preaching out in the public square and people are walking by and they may, they may only hear just a small portion of a verse or a small portion. You think, what can God do with a small He can do a lot with a small portion. Remember that widow with her cruise of oil that didn't run dry and filled all the vessels she had? That's what God can do with the message. He can multiply it. Don't despise the day of small things. There's great wisdom and coming to church, if you brought your kids to church, you, if you had kids and they're grown now, you brought your kids, don't despise that. That was a good thing. Even if they don't heed what they heard, that was the right thing. If I hadn't gone to Christian school, if I had gone to public school, I promise you, I wouldn't be where I am today. Now, there's no ifs. I know God's sovereign. There's no ifs. 
But in a parallel thought or parallel universe, had I gone to public school, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be serving Christ today. If I hadn't been raised in church, even though a lot of what I heard growing up, I've come to realize wasn't true. A lot of it was a watered down or summarized, sometimes just downright false gospel. But I was still under the teaching of the Bible. And so the mistakes that were made by those who taught me weren't canceled out. I mean, they were canceled out by the power of the Word of God. I was exposed to the Word of God. My teachers in my school felt like it was a very small thing. They had a very small influence. They had very little time with me. But it was a big thing. I went back and told them years later, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for putting into my life. Thank you for what you taught me. Thank you for being patient with me in the hard times. You know why? Because those little times, they, they felt like one, one of the teachers told me, says, Rick, we, we never thought we were actually getting through to you. Never thought we were actually getting through to you. But they were. They were. And some of those lessons they taught me, I didn't pick up on until much, much later. And listen, there's things that you teach your kids, the things I teach my kids, that they may not grasp right now. But later they will. Don't despise the day of planting seeds and watering seeds. There's great value to the word of God. There's great value to hearing the word of God. And as I said last time we met over the book of Proverbs, the more our world divorces itself from God and from the biblical worldview, the more lunacy we see in our society, our culture, the more insane it becomes. Because the only place to find true wisdom is with Christ. And when you leave that, when you reject that, all that's left is nonsense. Nonsense. They act as if we're unreasonable because we're Christians. But the only way to have reason is to follow what the scripture says. Otherwise, it's lunacy. So keep in mind... As we go through this chapter, this is Christ we're talking about. Wisdom is Christ. Verse 10. Receive my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. If ever you have the choice to choose God's instruction over silver and gold, choose God's instruction. Choose it. I understand some people have to work. And can't make church. If you ever have a place in your life where that's an option, never choose work over church. If you have a choice between two jobs and one does not let you go to church, choose the one that does. If you have a job that works you all church services, you can't even make one service, quit and find one that lets you make church services. What God has to teach us is worth more than silver or gold. It's worth more than what money can buy. I know a guy... We know a guy. He has a good job. His wife has a good job. And together they make over $100,000 a year, which in Bakersfield is a good amount of money to make. It's not a very expensive area. And he still chooses to have a second job where he works every Sunday. Why? Because we can have a better life. We can have nicer stuff. And he chooses that over hearing the instruction of the Lord. Let me tell you something. 
That's not a Christian decision. That's not a godly decision. Some people have to miss church because they have to work. But when you choose money over the Lord, you've made a bad choice. This verse isn't saying that making money is bad or that money itself is bad. But it's drawing a, a contrast between a not, not a good thing and a bad thing, but a good thing and a better thing. Okay? Sometimes life isn't, doesn't come down to good or bad. It comes down to good or better. Making money is good, right? That's how we pay for things. That's how we eat. That's how we, we have a car to drive here tonight. Making money is not bad. But when you have a choice to make more money or to be in the house of God, you choose the house of God. Because that's the better thing. That's the better thing. You don't forsake the good thing. You still provide for your family, for yourself, but you choose the better thing. Always. Always. Let me give you an example of this. Go to Hosea 6. Hosea 6. Hosea 6, 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Okay? So we see a similar co contrast here. Nothing here is bad, is it? Right? Nothing. Mercy, is that bad? No. Now, how about, how about sacrifices? Are those bad? Well, no. They're commanded in the law, right? How about the knowledge of God? It's good, right? Burnt offerings. Those are good too. God commands them to make burnt offerings. What we see emphasized here is that mercy is more important than sacrifice. God preferred they had a knowledge of him more than just the outward act of burnt offerings. What he's saying is, choose the better between good and better. Sacrifices are good. That's obedience to the law. That's great. Israel, do that. But you know what? Don't do that apart from mercy and knowledge of God, because that's better. That's better. And I'd rather you never sacrifice than to sacrifice and not know me. And to sacrifice and not show mercy. Right? I'd rather you never do that and always do the better thing. And that's what we have, what I'm telling you. Making money is not bad. But I'll be honest, I'd rather all of us be homeless and starving and have the knowledge of God. If you have a job that you can never go to church because you work Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, quit your job and get the knowledge of God. That's better. Well, pastor, I have to support my family. That's a godly thing to do. And it is. It's a good, godly thing to do. But not at the expense of the better. Uh, there's a story from George Mueller's life. I've told it before. The man told him, he says, I can't. I can't read my Bible and pray. I have to work 16 hours a day to support my family. And Mueller told him, he said, sir, God will provide you 16 hours worth of support in 12 hours if you take the other four hours and dedicate them to his word and prayer. That's better. You don't forsake the Lord for money. God has all the money in the world. Yeah. Choose the better. 
Choose the better all the time. I had another example I was going to give. I forgot what it was now. I should give it to what you guys are turning there to Hosea. I forgot the example now. There was the Mueller example. And there was an, Oh, George Mueller again. He had certain times in his life where he found that he, he didn't have time to pray and read his Bible. And so he'd been praying, but not reading his Bible. And he found his soul wasn't nourished and his prayer life suffered because prayer flows out into, into, uh, the word flows out of us into prayer. That's what I'm trying to say. And then he realized, I can pray as I walk, they didn't have cars, as I walk to my appointments, I can pray. But the word I can only read when I'm sitting still. So he said the better thing is to choose the scripture reading first. I can do, otherwise, I'm choosing one over the other. I can do both. But prayer, apart from the word, is not fruitful. I have to have both. So in the mornings, he chose a better thing over the lesser thing. Listen, God wants us to pray, but not apart from knowing the word. Not apart from knowing him. Go back to Proverbs chapter 8. That's what happened to Israel. They begin to, to do the sacrifices and do the religious stuff apart from knowing God. And when Jesus came, he was not pleased with what they were doing. Their lips honored him, but their hearts were far from him. Proverbs eight eleven, For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. The value of God's wisdom. Wisdom. Now, what is wisdom in this chapter? It's Christ, right? For Christ is better than rubies. We don't, we don't get rubies today, do we? Christ is better than money. Christ is better than riches. Christ is better than a padded bank account or a nicer car, or a bigger home. Christ is the aim of our life. Everything else we ac accumulate in this life, we leave when we leave this life, except Christ. He goes with us when we go to him. We have that forever. The wisdom of God is worth more than the riches of this world. Nothing this world offers can be compared with knowing God. I wish more Christians believed that. I do. Christians in the old days believed it, but today, God is a way for us to make more money. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And even when it's not, even when it's not blatantly prosperity gospel stuff, how many people try to use God to get blessings, to get things? And I don't want like the blessings like I want God, I want to know God so he can make me a sacrifice to go to the natives and offer my life to bring them to God. No, it's like more money, job promotion, right? We had a we had somebody come to church here a while back. And they're coming faithfully. It's like, man, amen. Amen. Good to see Amen. I need to get in with the Lord more. I need to. And then they called and 
wanted to rent a place here at the church for their business. And we declined and never saw them again. You know why we never saw them again? Because they weren't here to know the Lord. They were here for a business connection. People use Christ all the time. All the time. I've been in churches where people came to sell Amway and Avon. I was in one church and the person was trying to sell Avon around the church and the pastor stopped and said, you know what? This, this isn't the place for that. This isn't just, you can do it, just not, on, not at church, not on Sundays. Make the calls, if you want to call church folk at home, but not here. She never came back. She wasn't there for the Lord. She was using the Lord. God is not our vending machine. We don't put in quarters and get back blessings. That's not how it works. We need to come to Christ for Christ and nothing else. And if he gives us a blessing, praise the Lord. And if he doesn't, praise the Lord. Because we never had a claim to a blessing. All we have claimed to is Christ. There's a preacher who pastored faithfully for 40 years. 40 years. Same church, small church, 20 people, 40 years. And uh, pastored faithfully. Turned down bigger churches, turned down conferences. He didn't want to get famous, he just wanted to serve Christ in his little congregation. And he got cancer. As he approached death, somebody asked him, said, Preacher, you gave 40 years for a nothing church with 20 people. You made no money. Don't you feel like God owed you better than that with all your faithful service? The preacher said, my only claim has been Christ. That's it. Our only claim. That's why people get mad at God. When the bottom falls out or when something doesn't go their way, because they see God as a way to get something. Our only claim, church, is Christ. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. So the government walks in and takes this property. We've got to go meet in a field somewhere, because our only claim is Christ, not this property. Not what we have. Not our bank accounts. Not our cars, our homes, even our families are not ours. Our only claim is Christ. The Lord gives, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 12. I wisdom dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Wisdom dwells with prudence. Two can't dwell together except they be agreed. Prudence agrees to godly wisdom and godly wisdom brings prudence. To find out knowledge of woody inventions, that's a difficult statement. I think it could be better understood as knowledge of deeds and discretions or right counsels. In other words, I wisdom dwell with prudence and have knowledge of deeds of discretion. Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy. The evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate what the Lord hates. And to love what the Lord loves. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments, he said. 
A great many people claim to fear the Lord, but they live their, their lives in the sin for which Christ died. You ever see those Christians? Living for themselves, living for their own desires and passions. When a Christian calls them out on it or rebukes them for it, well, do they get angry? If it's in the church, they just leave the church. How dare they call me out on that sin? How dare they say that to me? Listen, the fear of the Lord is to hate what God hates and to love what God loves. If we don't do that, we don't have the fear of the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You're too judgmental. That's not me. That's Jesus. If you love me, you will keep his commandments. There's no room there to say, I love God, but I live in sin. There's no wiggle room there at all. If you love him, you'll serve him. We talked about this morning. Slaves of Christ. Willful, thankful, forever slaves of Christ. He's going to particularize a few of the things that God hates. He says pride and arrogancy. This has been a problem since the rebellion of Satan, hasn't it? That was rooted in pride. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. I will be like the Most High. We saw it in Adam and Eve, don't we? You ever think about that? Adam and Eve, what pride and arrogancy. The serpent says to the woman, you'll be like God. Oh, that sounds good. I want to be like him. It was pride that led to the fall of man. It was an arrogant spirit that led. It wasn't humility. It was pride. How about Cain? His sacrifice before God. You know, it wasn't his sacrifice that God hated, right? Like when you go to most churches, they teach, well, Cain brought vegetables and uh, God required a lamb. We don't know that. The Bible never tells us that. We don't know what kind of offering they were making. We don't know what had been revealed to them about what God required them to bring. But in Hebrews, it says he had respect unto Abel's offering because he offered it in faith. Cain, he did not. I believe if Cain had offered his vegetables with the right heart, God would have accepted them. Because the heart was the issue. How did Cain bring his? In pride. How dare you not accept my offering? How dare you not accept my gift? How dare you accept his gift? That's pride. That's how people look at Christ today, don't they? How, how, you preach the Christ in the Bible, but how dare he think he can tell me how to live? He's God. He has absolute right to tell us how to live, how to talk, how to dress, how to deal with our enemies. Everything is under his control. It's only pride that says, how dare he? People get angry at God. He took my loved one. How dare he? That's pride. All souls are his. How about Korah and his rebels? Pride. Oh, Moses, you think you're better than us. Who said that you can make all the decisions? God did. And Moses is like, your problem isn't with me, it's with God. And he ate those rebels up in the ground, didn't he? Pride. How about the Pharisees? When they saw Jesus coming, what do they want? 
to seize his inheritance. They wanted the riches and the glory and the honor that belonged to the Messiah. And when he came, they said, let's kill him. Let's destroy him. Let's put him away. And when their plans kept getting foiled time after time, they said, we have to stop this. The whole world has gone after him. In other words, we're losing. We're losing. Pride. Pride. James 4, 6 says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. How can we be prideful people when God resists the proud? Do you want God to resist you? Then humble yourself. Me too. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you younger, be, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you. Be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisted the proud and gave grace to the humble. Again, we don't have problems in our church. I'm thankful for that. I've been through churches that had nothing but constant fighting and bickering and backbiting. I've been to churches where business meetings were shouting matches from one side to the other. I've been to a church where people went and slashed the tires of the pastors. He couldn't make it to the business meetings. They could talk about him behind his back and vote him out of the office. It exists. Pride. Pride. Listen, no church, no church ever had a split except pride was involved. Nobody leaves the church angry but that pride is involved. And nobody bickers back and forth except that pride is involved. Let's stop bickering. It's a sign of pride and love. Why am I saying you? Who are you talking to, Pastor? Nobody. I'm just saying, in general, we don't have a problem. But let's be on guard to not have a problem. How do we do that? Humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. It's not important to get too deep into, but somebody called me, and somebody else in the church had a problem with me. It wasn't a big thing. It was a small thing. I wish they had called me directly, but it was a small thing. And so I, I said, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe I should change that. Change how I operate in that area. That's okay. Don't look stunned and say, oh, no, the pastor got attacked. No, what I'm saying is somebody brought a concern. And I can either be prideful and say, who do they think they are? I'm the pastor. I'll do what I want. Or I can say, you know what, if it bothers them that much, I can, I can just stop doing that. Because you know what? I should care for them too. Even if, they're, even if they're wrong. Maybe they're just the weaker brother. But hey, we're to watch out for the weaker brother, aren't we? Let's stop getting so angry with one another and humble ourselves. And realize that it's only pride that causes contention, the Bible says. Only pride causes contention. Humility, church. We need to be humble people. Pride is a sin for a few reasons. And I lied to you when I said a short sermon. I apologize. I thought it was a short sermon. Pride is a sin for a few reasons. God is so glorious and so exalted. He is the only being who deserves to be worshipped, praised, and exalted. When we exalt ourselves through pride, we make ourselves God. That's a sin. That's a grievous sin. Number two, we're mere creatures. All we have is given by God. 
Even if you have a skill or a talent that makes you great in this world, you only have that because God gave you the ability to have it. There is literally nothing that you or I have today, church, that we have not received from outside of us. We should take pride in nothing. Nothing. We are no nearer to the devil than when we lift ourselves up in our hearts. God hates the evil way. This refers to a, a sinful manner of life. A Christian may sin, but he doesn't walk the path of sin. If he does, he's not a Christian. Christians make war on our sin. We fight our sin. God also hates the forward mouth. This refers to sins of speech, blasphemy, gossip, slander, backbiting. God hates that, by the way. God hates that. You have a problem with somebody? Go tell that somebody you have a problem with them. And then try to get it straightened out. You got a problem with Earl. Don't go to Debbie and tell Debbie how terrible Earl is. Don't go to Earl and tell him how terrible Amy is. You got a problem with Amy. Go to Amy. And say, I got a problem with you. And I probably need you to forgive me for that. That's, that's probably how we should handle that. And then Amy can say, you know what? What's your problem? Maybe I need to change something as well. Maybe I need to apologize to you. Humble, humility. That's how a church is to be. We're a family. A family of sinners. Nobody is better than the other. And we need one another. Verse 14. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Christ is speaking here as wisdom. Counsel belongs to Christ. And sound wisdom belong to him. The wording here doesn't indicate just the possession of these things, but rather they flow from his nature. They are what he is. Christ is counsel and sound wisdom. We may have counsel and sound wisdom, but he is counsel and sound wisdom. They flow from who he is. His names reflect this. In Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government should be upon his shoulder, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. His name is Counselor. And really, that that flows better. because I don't believe Wonderful and Counselor are separate thoughts. I believe he's Wonderful Counselor. That's who he is. Do you have a problem? Go to Christ. Why? Because he's the wonderful counselor. He will never lead us in a straight path. He will never lead us to do sin or to do wrong. He will always guide us in the right way. Counselor is his name. Counsel and wisdom are found in the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's counsel and wisdom for how to deal with our sin. The gospel is called the wisdom of God in a mystery. It's 1 Corinthians 2.7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. His counsel to the sinner is come to him. He calls the self-sufficient to find their sufficiency in him. Go to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3.14. It's that famous, wonderful Laodicean church. 
Revelation 3.14. And unto the angel, the church of the Laodiceans, write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's pride, isn't it? And knowest not thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then what does he say? I counsel thee, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Thou mayest be rich and white raiment thou mayest be clothed. And the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve thou mayest see. The wisdom of Christ to the sinner is come. All who labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The wisdom of Christ to the dead church, to the dead Christian, I counsel you. Drop your pride. Come to me. I have gold. The gold of Christ is not earthly gold. It's the riches and treasures of Christ. And white garments, what is that? Purity, holiness. And I salve, they're blind but he can make them see. Go back to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8. Wisdom goes on in verse 14. He has understanding and strength. Again, it flows from his nature. Christ is understanding and strength. In 1 John 5.20, the Bible says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Truth and understanding are with Christ. Strength comes from God. Strength to fight sin, strength to worship, strength to walk as we ought to walk. Verse 15, by me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I think there's a double application here. They get their kingdom by God's appointment and God's providence. This goes for kings, princes, nobles, judges. He lifts them up. He puts them down. That brings great comfort at election time, doesn't it? God has foreordained before anybody's even born or even created in this world. God has foreordained who's going to rule this nation election after election. Listen, let's be honest. I don't mean to be funny here, but I've worked the front door at Walmart. I have this much faith in the American people. I mean, we are a, a dumb people. I've, I mean, just the things I've seen in dealing with the public, being a security guard for so many years, I am so thankful my future is not dependent on the wits of 300 million Americans, but a sovereign God. And sometimes he decrees a righteous ruler and sometimes he decrees a wicked one because we need that. We deserve that. It's a judgment on us. But listen, everybody who is in public office today in America, voting is a sham. You only think you have a say. But let me tell you something. You have no more say than the people of Babylon had over Nebuchadnezzar. God has decreed that he determines who rules nations. Let that be a comfort to you. God's in charge. It doesn't matter who wins or who loses. 
God's in charge. It doesn't matter the evil they think up. Oh, we, we're to stand against the evil. But listen, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of where this is going. God's in complete control. What do they tell Jesus? Don't you realize I have power to crucify you or power to release you? And Jesus said, you have no power at all except what's given to you from above. If the Father decrees you let me go, you let me go. If he decrees you crucify me, you crucify me. Oh, I love the sovereignty of God. It's so reassuring. It's not up to us. We just follow the wisdom of God. I love that. But there's a double meaning here, not just their appointment. Their rule. They rule wisely through the wisdom of God, with God's assistance. Their justice comes from God. Now, their injustice comes from themselves, comes from their own wickedness. Our nation today is not ruled by godly wisdom, but the wisdom of man. And we see what a mess that causes, don't we? We need to submit ourselves. Our rulers need to submit themselves to the wisdom of God because it's the right thing to do. Hey, what America has done just things in the world, that's come from God. That's come from God. Let's not praise and extol the men behind it too much. Any wisdom they have comes from God. And most of what they decree is foolishness, and that comes from their own dark and wicked heart. That should make us flee to Christ, shouldn't it? When you see the darkness and the wickedness in the leaders of our nation, when you see that in their heart, when abortionists walk into clinics and they laugh about aborting children and murdering babies, that should make us run to Christ. The depravity and wickedness in our nation. But God's in charge. God's in complete control of history. Right down to the day of his return, nothing happens in this world that catches him by surprise. This is Corey Timboom always said, uh, heaven has no problems, only plans. Nothing catches God off guard. He's ready for everything. He's planned everything. Pastor, what are we going to do when persecution comes? We're going to be persecuted because that's the will of God. And if it doesn't come, then that's the will of God. Either way, we're content in the will of God because nothing can happen to us but that God ordains. Verse 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Wisdom says, I love them that love me. This is very similar to what Jesus said in John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Those who love Christ are loved by Christ. Understand that. That's a great love. That doesn't mean he's going to give us riches and sunny days all the time. Listen, I don't mean to use people as examples. If he watches this, I hope he'll understand. But Tom is in a miserable place in a sick bed, stuck at home all the time. And he is no farther from the love of God than any of us. He is loved with a deep and eternal love. And the suffering he goes through in this life is only a, a small scale 
compared to the glory that's promised to the children of God. I listened to a preacher yesterday on podcast. He said, if you take all of our, all of our troubles in this life and you put them on a scale, it's like a handful of ashes. But eternity is a bar of gold. That's what it is. So yes, rejoice in the good times. We share testimonies and blessings that God has done. But listen, those testimonies and blessings, church, they are not the measure of the love of God to you. God loves you as much in the healing as he does in the cancer. He loves me as much in poverty as in wealth. It's not a measure of how much God loves us. Oh, bad things are happening to us. Oh, we're going through a rough time. God doesn't love me anymore. Far from the truth. Well, if he loves me, why am I going through this? I don't know, but he knows. Trust him. Because you've never been loved with a greater love than God has for his people. And so whatever we go through, it doesn't matter. The love of God surrounds us. He loves those who love him. By the way, we love him because he first loved us. So he loved us first, then we loved him in response, then he loved us back because we loved him. It's amazing, isn't it? God has ordained all things. Those who seek him early shall find him. I do believe in seeking God early in life. Solomon later makes this same statement in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Go ahead and turn there briefly. Ecclesiastes 11. Verse 9, Ecclesiastes 11, 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. What a deep statement. Childhood and youth are empty. Empty. Vanity. I think I mentioned this morning. The people I once sought to impress, I don't even know them anymore. The things that matter to me, I don't own them anymore. My dearest possessions when I was 14 years old, I don't own anymore. My clothes, I, you know, people take such, spend, youth spend so much money on clothes and they have to have it just right and just I don't own any of those clothes anymore. I don't fit those clothes anymore. Youth is vanity. Youth is empty. Everything that seems, all of my troubles that seemed so important to me at the time. When I look back now, they're nonsense. I laugh at myself at the things that so concerned me in my youth. The things I sought after and, and set my time to and my mind to. I look back now, if I could... Go back in time and say, what would you tell yourself if you go back in time? I wouldn't. I would just slap myself. It's emptiness and vanity. There is so much more substance that I never saw before because I wasn't looking at Christ. And people want to have fun. Ah, oh, I'm too young to follow Christ. I'm too young. I need to sow my wild oats. Remember this. God will bring you into judgment. God will bring you into judgment. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 of Ecclesiastes. Remember now thy creator, the days of thy youth, 
when the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. The older we grow, the more hardened we become. Far more people come to Christ in youth than in old age. So there is a truth. Those who seek me early shall find me. Set to know Christ as early as you can. You say, I'm sitting here and I'm already old. But the Earl's looking at me, he's like, I'm 200, pastor. <laughs> then don't let another day go by without seeking to know more of Christ. Seek it as early as you can. I want my kids to see Christ as early as they can. Because I, I was in church. I grew up in church, but I, it, was a, it was all fluff. It was all fluff and games and fun pizza parties and ridiculous stuff they taught us in youth group. Nonsense. And I wasted so many years because I thought church was just nonsense. But it's not. I want my kids to waste those years. I want them to know Christ young. That's why I give them the gospel on a regular basis. Don't waste the years. I'm sure everyone here could say, if I could get back 20, 30, 40 years of my life, boy, I would do it differently. We've all wasted time. Don't waste anymore. If you're not praying every day, start praying tonight. Pray tomorrow and the next day. You're not reading your Bible? Get into it now. You're not witnessing? Be a witness now. Don't waste any more time. We can sit and lament the wasted years all we want to, but years lie ahead of us that we're just going to waste lamenting the wasted years. Don't waste any more time. Go back to Proverbs chapter 8. So while there's an application of that, and Solomon does mention it elsewhere, I don't think that's exactly what the text has in mind. I think the greater application is in terms of time. The greater application is not in terms of time. The Hebrew word in Proverbs is diligently. That's a closer English translation. Those who seek me early, those who seek me diligently will find me. So yes, there's a principle. Seek Christ early in life. Seek Christ as early as you can. But what Solomon is trying to get across here is don't just seek him out early. Seek him out diligently. That means fight for the knowledge of Christ. Get to know Christ. Don't give up. Seek him passionately. Those who seek Christ faithfully, diligently, with great effort will find him. Another word would be earnestly. Those who seek me earnestly will find me. No one has ever sought Christ and not found him. Ever. Ever. They may claim they have, but they're lying. They may, be, they may have been searching for a religious experience, but not the Christ of the Bible. Nobody has ever looked for Christ and not found him. He's not hiding, folks. He's calling. We saw that earlier in the chapter, the call of wisdom. He stands in the gate. He stands in the highways, calling to people. Come unto me. All you that labor, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. In Acts 17, it says he's determined the times before appointed and the bounds of our habitation that we should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he's not far from every one of us. The purpose of Christ is for us to find him. He's not hiding. 
Look at verse 18. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. Riches and honor are with Christ. This can, be, this can apply to temporal riches and honor. Solomon received both, didn't he? After he requested wisdom, God said, I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you honor and riches exceeding anybody who came before you. God can bless temporally. Since riches and honor belong to Christ, all we need is in his hands. Where are you seeking for your needs? Christ has them. Christ has them. We only need to seek it from him. Philippians 4.19, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Christ has all that we need, church. Are we seeking it from him? Don't seek it from the world. Seek it from Christ. All, all of the treasures of this world are in his disposal. That's why we need to be a praying church. We need to call down blessings from heaven. He has all that we need if we only seek it from him. The more eternal riches and honor also with Christ. Luke 12, 33. Jesus said, sell that you have and give alms. Provide for yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. And John 12, 26. If, if, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The true honor, the eternal honor, the eternal riches, church, are with Christ. Seek that. Not the riches of this world. In verse 19, the wisdom of God, which is in Christ, is better than gold or precious stones. The fruit, an interesting way to put it, since Proverbs 3.18 compares wisdom with a tree of life, the fruit is better than what we can gain from this world. Matthew 12, 26 comes to mind. For what does a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So verse 19 tells us, I'm not sure I'm reading it right. My fruit is better than gold. Yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. The fruit of following Christ is better than with the fruit of following this world. It's eternal. Turn one more time to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. Verse 15. We're almost done. I was way off when I said this would be a short message. I apologize. I need to stop making promises I can't keep. Luke 12, 15, he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the, in the abundance of things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And, uh, bestow my fruits? and he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? 
So is he lay the treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What a powerful story to me. I mean, he just, he had so much. I'm going to build greater barns for my goods. And he said back, goes, I'm such a smart person. <laughs> I'm ready for the future. And God says, uh, tonight, your future changes. And all that you got for yourself, you leave behind. Again, it's not wrong to provide the things of this world. But choose the better. Choose the greater wisdom. The wisdom of Christ. Choose to know Christ. Regardless of how much we gain in this life, we will leave it all behind. The fruit of Christ is eternal life. Riches that cannot be taken, cannot be lost, and life eternal. And two more verses. Go back to Proverbs 8. Two more verses. We'll finish tonight's message. Proverbs 8, 20 and 21. I lead in the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance and I will fill their treasures. Christ leads us in the paths of righteousness and judgment. He walks with us along this journey. He has walked the path to glory before us. He leads us on our way. In conclusion, we wrap it up. To love God is to hate evil. Church, if we're going to love God, we cannot tolerate sin. We have to hate evil. Not just not do evil. You know what I'm saying? We're not neutral towards it. To love Christ is to hate evil. I am so glad our church stands against the evils of this world. We will continue to stand against the murder of children. We will continue to stand against the LGBT nonsense and the transgender nonsense and the wickedness in our nation and the wickedness of our culture. You know why? Because to love Christ is not neutrality. It's to hate evil. It's to actively hate evil. Listen, I'm not calling on our church to not participate in this world. I'm calling on our church to hate the deeds of our culture to stand actively against them or we don't love God. You realize that there are hundreds of churches, Christian churches in the city of Long Beach and nobody goes to the abortion clinic to stand against evil. Say, Pastor, are you saying that nobody in Long Beach loves Jesus? I'm not saying that. Jesus said that. That's pretty intense. Why do we go out to the to FPA every week? Because we love Jesus. And to love Jesus is to hate evil. Why do we go preach in the park? No one's listening to us. Maybe not. But to love Jesus is to hate evil. And to preach against it. And to condemn it out loud in the public square. And to call people to Christ. Listen, we are not neutral, church. We are actively to hate wickedness. And to oppose it every chance we get. Every chance we get. Number two, Christ walks with us in this life. Follow him as he leads. Keep your eyes on Christ. Goodness gracious, there's nothing else in this world that can sustain us like Christ can. Keep your eyes on him. It goes back to Peter and the walking on the water, right? When did he sink? When he started looking at the storm and got his eyes off Christ. 
Don't worry about what's going on in this world around us. Don't, don't put your eyes on what could happen. Keep them on Christ. He's sovereign and he loves us. Number three, the fruit of Christ is sweet. The fruit of wickedness is bitter. Dwell on the tree of life. And number four, seek Christ earnestly. Diligently. As early as you can. As young as you can. For those of us who are grown, seek him without stopping. Diligently. Don't give up. You ever seen those uh, videos? The farmers? I don't know. I, I guess this is the California new. I love Hicks. You watch these farmers back in the south chasing these pigs around, these wild pigs around, trying to tackle the wild pigs. It's hard. They're slippery. They fall down a lot, and they get up, and they keep going after it, keep going after it. I, I love to watch those videos. Because that's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. Seek to know Christ. You're going to fall along the way. It's kind of slippery sometimes. But be persistent. Do whatever you can, Christian. Whatever you can to know Christ better. To be more like Christ. To think like Christ. To act like Christ. Towards other members of the body. Towards people who are without. Towards our enemies. It doesn't matter. Don't give up. Don't give up. Claw and fight your way if you have to, to know more of Christ, to love Christ better. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And nobody, nobody will seek to know Christ in this world through sweat and tears. Nobody who does that will regret it on the day of judgment. Nobody. Seek Christ, church. That's the wisdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time together. Oh, Lord, make us seekers of Christ. Let us start today if we have to. Make your son, Father, make him glorious in our sight. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. There is none to be compared with the Son of God. Oh, that Christ would be exalted in our hearts tonight. What's that hymn, Lord? Take the world, but give me Jesus. Oh, Lord, I know. have the church learn that hymn. What a beautiful hymn. May that be our motto. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Set our hearts tonight, this week, upon the risen Christ. He is exalted at the right hand of the Father tonight. Everything is made subject to him. There are people in heaven right now gathered around his throne singing, Holy, holy, holy. And until we join them, may we seek to know Christ better. We love you, Father. We thank you so much for the gift of your Son, the gift of your Spirit. 
for the body of Christ. I love each person here tonight and many who aren't here tonight. All oh, unite us, Lord. Take away pride and arrogance. Take away all that would hinder us, all in the world that draws us away from Christ. I say it so often, I'll say it again. Lord, do with us as is pleasing to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.